Hello and welcome to another edition of Christian Deep Dive. Today we're going to talk about a really fascinating subject. Not that all of them aren't really in the Bible, but this is one that really uh, blows my mind when I think about it. We're going to be talking about the Trinity, which we're going to take a deep dive, as we often do. Uh, this time we're going to deep dive into the concept of the Trinity. And one of the most fascinating scriptures, I think, is a very short one, really. Ephesians 2.18, and it says, For through him we, have, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Let me read that again. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. That literally jumped off the page when I was recently reading that scripture recently, because when you look at it, all three aspects of the Trinity are listed in that one verse. It says, by through him, which is Jesus, we have access by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, unto the Father. Folks, this is, this is what Christianity is. This is what makes one a Christian, understanding that. We have a situation where we have... One God, we say there's one God, and yet he's three persons in one. And yes, that is difficult to understand, but that one verse puts it all in one, one verse. And again, this is Christianity. The Christian church consists of people who realize that this is the whole object and purpose of everything, and that is access by one spirit unto the Father. This is one of those things you have to really sit back and think about. And so as we do... I just want to get into certain things that try to help us understand this as best we can. For instance, we're brought at first here, verse with this verse, face to face with the mystery of the Trinity, of course, because through him, as I said, the Son, the Lord Jesus, we have access by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and unto the Father. So this is what I would call a great, and what others have called a great Trinitarian verse of Scripture. And I got to sit back and wonder, how often do we think about this, the doctrine of the Trinity as the essence of the Christian faith? It is the doctrine, really, when you think about it, that differentiates the Christian faith from any other faith that I've discovered or read, or, you know, again, only Christianity is the real way. We believe in one God, yes. And yet we assert that the one God is three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, take your choice. We don't understand it, I'll be the first to say we don't understand it, but we do assert it. Why? Because it's taught here, and it's taught other places in the scriptures. The Bible teaches clearly that Jesus is truly God, and likewise the Holy Spirit's truly God. So, And yet it says, but there's one God. God is God, there's only one, and he's combined in three people. Again, don't ask me to explain it. But... You don't begin to understand your Bible. You can't be possibly understand the Christian faith unless you accept it, believe it, and in my view, bow before it and humble yourselves and say, Oh Lord, I worship you and thank you for what you've done. But the thing I see in the scripture here is that the three persons in the Trinity are interested in us and engaged together in our salvation. Think about that. That's why I think it's kind of a staggering verse. That's exactly what it seems to say, that the three persons, eternal in their glory and their holiness and their might, the three persons in this Holy Trinity are interested in you and me, if you're a Christian. And they're interested in your salvation and mine and working out your salvation. You know, as you go around, and I've lived quite a while now, the world talks about honors and it's interested in privileges and getting into big fancy clubs like golf clubs and 
being introduced to great people, but here's a fact that I find the three people in the Trinity are interested in you and have you done something and, and have done something, they have done something about your salvation. What if every Christian really understood that and took it to heart? So you might ask the question, well, how are they engaged in our salvation? You might say, I know Jesus died on the cross for me. Well, the epistle in the Ephesians, if you study it, and I've been studying Ephesians for a while now, the apostle has taken up really the whole chapter in the first chapter to tell us is the father who thought of salvation and who initiated salvation. So I would ask you to, uh, when you're done or even stop now and read the first chapter of Ephesians to see what I mean, you'll see that the whole first chapter of Ephesians, which is a fantastic, a fantastic chapter, it'll tell you how the father thought of salvation and who initiated it. Can you remember, you'll see there's a phrase in there, according to the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of fullness of times, he might gather together all of one things in Christ. So the father works all things after the counsel of his will. I've heard theologians and read theologians talking about the economic trinity. This great work, this great business of salvation has been divided up between the three persons. So when you think about it, the father conceived it and he planned it. He thought it out. He purposed it. He decided that this was the way, the everlasting and eternal God. It's his plan and purpose. So let us never represent the Christian faith and the Christian position with regard to salvation as if it were something that the son had to, shall we say, you know, plead with the father to do. No, from what we can see in the first chapter of Ephesians, it's the father who sent the son. Remember, um, one of the one of my favorite scriptures is in the Gospel of John when Jesus is praying in the garden, uh, that high, that was called the priestly prayer, how plainly Jesus says, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. I have glorified you on the earth. See, he came to give eternal life to as many as God has given him. He said, thine they were, and thou gavest them to me. That's, of course, the King James Version there. All his references are to the Father. The Father is the one who conceives and initiates and sets moving this great and glorious plan and way of salvation. But then the Son volunteered to do the work. There's no question that, and it's hard for us to imagine, I know, just but think about this great council with one God but three in one, held in eternity before time began, as scriptures tell us, before the foundation of the world. All that has happened was foreknown and foreseen. The Father conceived the plan, the Son offered and volunteered to come execute the plan. The Father gave him the people, the Father gave him the work to do, and he came and did it. And there, just before the cross, he was able to say in John 17 that he had done it. We're familiar with the great facts, but boy, let's not forget them. It's so easy as we get so busy and caught up in things that we do, we do that. Let's remind ourselves constantly of what it involved for the Son, for even though as the scriptures tell us, he was equal with God and counted it not robbery to be equal with God. He humbled himself and, as the Bible says, made himself of no reputation, which is uh, kind of a name of a great Rich Mullins song, by the way, that came out after he died. You know, he was mixed with ordinary people and he lived an ordinary life, even though he was he was God in the flesh. I mean, I, sometimes I think about that. I just, I can't even con conceive of, of, of what he had to go through and what he did for us. 
And then there's the work of the Holy Spirit. It is he who works out the salvation in us one by one. That's his work. So you notice that the son voluntarily subordinates himself to the father, and then the Holy Spirit voluntarily subordinates himself to the son and to the father. They're co-equal, they're co-eternal, but for the sake of our salvation, there is this subordination of the son to the father and the spirit to the son and the father together. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's the one that comes and he applies the work. He applies it to me. He applies it to you. It is he who mediates Christ to us. And it's he who brings us to see our need and all the other things that we hope to consider later. It's he who applies the redemption that has worked out by the Son. So again, Jesus is one that the Father sends Jesus. Jesus does the work. He dies on the cross. And the Holy Spirit's the one that implements that plan to us. And when you think about it, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. He shall not speak of himself, is what Jesus said. He simply speaks of Christ. He shall glorify me, Jesus said, and he has done so, and he still does. So it's funny. All the way through Scripture, you'll see examples where Jesus glorifies the Father, but you'll see him saying how the Holy Spirit is glorifying him. So to me, it's, uh, it, it's just an amazing thing. So the reason is some people will say, wow, this was... You know, the more you dig deep, and again, that's what we do here on Christian Deep Dive. We like to try to get into these things and find some meat. The question would be, why did this have to be done? For what For what reason? Well, because of your sin and mine. It's, it's as simple as that. There is nothing that, that gets me more and more about people, even within the church, that don't like to talk about the doctrine of sin and say, why must you always be stressing sin? And the answer is simply this, sin is a problem as great as this, that it necessitated the action of the three persons in the Holy Trinity to deal with it. It's the only explanation. It was such a profound problem that it involved all that, and it took it, it took all of that for that to happen. I mean, my goodness, the, the death on the cross, the blood of Christ, his flesh, his body, his cross, his dying, salvation is not just a matter like people some people just like to come out and say god is love god is love that's true god is love but salvation is not just a matter of really realizing that god is love and receiving forgiveness it's something that involves these activities the price of sin had to be paid and it was a bloody ugly horrible mess that uh, jesus had to put up with and he had to come here and live a perfect life for us so that we could exchange be exchanged for his righteousness. He took our unrighteousness. We get to wear the robe of his righteousness. So, I mean, there's so many things that go into it when you, we must go deeper. And the deeper you go, the more it's going to stick with you. That's why I just think it's so important. It's staggering to me that all three persons in this Trinity so loved us to do this for us. The Father Eternal has had his eye on you and me. He knows you and me. He's interested in you and me. The Son of God has so loved you that he's given himself for you and me. And the Holy Spirit so loves you that he comes to you to apply all this and to keep pulling you back. How many times, you know, have we started to fall and hard it and all of a sudden we just can feel that the Holy Spirit's pulling us back, pulling us back, pulling us back. Thank goodness. Thank God for that. If we could only realize this as we should, I think, you know, my personal opinion, the effect would be tremendous. It would revolutionize our whole conception of Christianity, this one little verse in Ephesians that jumps out when you see the three uh, persons of the Trinity all in one verse like that. 
I think if we would just understand what they did for us, what God did for us through the Trinity, we would no longer think in terms of Christianity being a duty or anything like that, like some people do. We would think of it in terms of glory and privilege and wonder, in my case. It'd be thrilling thing in the world. It would be the most thrilling thing in the world to us. We would revel in it, and we would say with Paul, when Paul said in one of his epistles, and I should have wrote it down because right now I can't have the reference, but he said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should be filled with a sense of wonder and, and praise. But let me go on to one more thing here, and that is we should be held face to face with this doctrine of the Trinity that we are interested in us and our salvation, and it's working it out in us, but we should be told that, again, what is the end object of salvation? You know, a lot of people like to say, well, we were saved so we don't go to hell. Well, that's true. We were saved so I could get over this one particular sin that's been dogging me all my life. Well, that's a side benefit too. Again, those are side benefits. A lot of people say that, for example, I'll take not going to hell. Well, God saved us so we wouldn't go to hell. And they think that's the whole reason. That's the end of it. But it's not. That's a side benefit. The whole reason that we're saved is so that a relationship to the Father can be restored. That's the whole reason. It's reconciliation. Rec beyond reconciliation, we have access to the Father. And you can sense in a sense, be reconciled to people, you know, and not have much intimacy with them. You can cease to be, um, you know, you can just take it in the world. You know, there's people that you have arguments with and everything else, and you can be reconciled with them, but that doesn't mean you have a relationship with them. The purpose of our salvation is, yes, to reconcile us to God, to have our sin covered, but then, as the scripture says, to bring us access unto the Father. So we need to have access by one spirit unto the Father, the scripture says. The word access is really an important, interesting word, and it can be translated in other ways to say approach or introduction. In other words, through him, we both have an introduction by one spirit to the Father. And again, what that simply means is relationship has been restored. The friendly relationship with God where we're acceptable to him and have assurance that he is well pleased towards us because of all the anger and wrath and everything else was placed upon Jesus. Or listen to this in Hebrews 10:19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And that is what the blood of Jesus has done. It enables me and you to enter into the holiest of all, into the Father's you know, into the presence of the Father. So, and again, that's what it means. We have eternal life. But again, I stress to you, what is eternal life? You say, I've got eternal life. But what does it mean? It means you have access to the Father. It means you're going to be in heaven with him forever. It means you'll have His this relationship forever and ever and ever. And if you can't get excited about that, then I don't know what you can get excited about. I think, and to me, in one of the most startling statements concerning a Christian is when Jesus was saying, I am in them and you're in me, and that they may be made perfect in me, and that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you have loved me. So if we're truly Christian and if we have come to the Father, then we know that God loves us as he loves his own Son. So therefore, we got to know that he won't ever leave us and forsake us. We know that whatever happens underneath we are in his 
everlasting arms. And so in reality, there's, there's one more thing that I guess I would like to add to this. And, and that is this. Through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We have it, says Paul. And so I can put this to you in a number of questions. Do you have this? Are we enjoying that access? Are you resting on it? Are you enjoying the peace that comes from it? Do you know and understand God's love to you? Do you know that he really loves you? Do you know him as your father? You know, a lot of times we pray to Jesus and that's, that's fine. But in reality, he wants us to pray to the father. And you'll see all that through scripture. He wants because he has given us access to the father. We come to the father in his name because of him. He's the one that said he was the way, the truth, the life, and only through him can you have access to the Father? He is the narrow gate. And so because of him, we have access to the Father. We can pray to the Father. We have access introduction by one spirit to the Father. We are taken by Christ, by his blood, into the holiest all through the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, is that true of you? Have you known and have you realized this presence of God? This is what Jesus came to do, says the apostle. It's really uh, an advance on reconciliation completely. It's not merely forgiveness, and it's not merely that the wrath is gone. It's we, those are great things. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that. It's that we have access. We have the right to go in and approach God when we pray with full assurance of faith. And I can't stress that enough because how many times do you go into prayer and you're being dogged by, oh, what you did yesterday or what you were thinking today and all that kind of stuff. Well, you just confess that. Jesus has covered that. And because of him, you have a robe of righteousness. You come before the Father. Just tell the devil to shut up that's yapping in your ear that's telling you you can't pray to the Father. You're not worthy. Of course we're not worthy. But because of Jesus, we're worthy. And so we want to honor him by saying, hey, I'm not listening to all these thoughts in my head. I'm not. I'm a Christian. I have access to the Father because of what um, Jesus has done and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go before the Father in prayer and I'm going to have boldness to ask what I need to ask. And you know that what? That's, that's what we need to do. That's what this is all about. So do you go to God with the instinct and the assurance and confidence which when a child goes to his father? It is to the father we're going. And you know how a kid behaves when he's in trouble, when he has a little problem or something is grieving him, he rushes to his father or his mother he tells them about it, and he's confident that they'll deal with it, and then he is quite happy. And the scriptures tell us, you know, us, I forget where it was, where Jesus said, well, you being evil, how much more will your Father, Heavenly Father give to you that ask? And he's going to give us in accordance with his will. Sometimes we ask for things that we find out later we're glad he didn't give us, but we can go confidently that he's going to help us, that he's going to give us what we need. So go to God like a little child. Tell him all about things, how things are going with you, confident and assured that he is going to deal with all of it. And one more thing I'm going to ask you, are you enjoying God? I remember reading this, uh, I think it's called the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Assembly, and it sounds pretty formal, doesn't it? But I remember I liked what it said. They had a proclamation where they said, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you know what? According to what the Apostle is saying here in Ephesians, the enjoyment begins now in this life, in this world. We don't have to wait till we go to heaven. We're meant to enjoy God here on earth and to know him as our Father, to rest in that knowledge, to enjoy the knowledge, and to enjoy himself 
and have fellowship with him. And that is but the beginning of what this verse really tells us. It assures us that the love of God is so great that the three persons in the Trinity have taken part in dealing with us in such a way and manner that you and I, lost and condemned and hopeless in this sin-filled world, and I, as I record this, it's the year 2020, and there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on, and uh, some of you may be listening to this uh, much later, um, but uh, in the, I tell you, in the, world, in the year 2020, there's a lot of upheaval and sin and things going on in this world. And to me, it's nice to have confidence is that we're stuck in this world of sin and woe. We can enjoy companionship with the Father. We can walk with him in fellowship and communion. We can enjoy him. And we're to look forward increasingly to seeing him as he is, without any veil to conceal him anymore, and enjoy him in his fullness. So do you enjoy God? Let me tell you, it's possible. It's open through Christ and by the Holy Spirit. This is Dan Moynihan, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Christian Deep Dive.